you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 17. Now, uh, last week uh, we saw Jesus and the boys over at the um, Caesarea Philippi. You guys remember we had like the visuals so, so you could see it. They had you know, that, that big solid rock, um, uh, what is that, landscape, whatever it was, big cliffside that was made out of solid rock that they carved you know, all those little temples uh, into and uh, even that, that big um, hole that was in it, which there was a, a spring, which was actually one of the three headwaters of the Jordan River, came bubbling out, and they believed that that literally was the gate of hell. It literally was the, the path that led into the underworld, uh, into Hades. Um, th- that, that's what the, the Greek people believed. And so, um, so you know, we had all of that, and um, Jesus brought the boys to that place, and he asked them the simple question, who do they say that I am? Who, who do they say that I am? And then the, the disciples answered, well, some say that you're Elijah, the prophet. Some say that, you know, th- they basically gave a whole bunch of um, prophets. They said that he's a prophet because nobody can do the things that he does a- and not be a prophet sent by God. And he says, okay, but now who do you say that I am? And then Peter had this divine revelation from the Father. Jesus even said this was not from flesh and blood. This wasn't because you're really smart, Peter. This was given to you by God. And, and Peter's statement, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's like, wow, big moment. And Jesus said, yes. And this is such a great uh, megalith, such a great stone. Not, not Peter, not, not little stone, not pebble. He says, but this, upon this stone, upon this megalith, this massive rock, which and now he has the accessory of Philippi as the backdrop of the statement. He says, upon this statement, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, Caesarea Philippi, will not prevail against us. Okay, so th- that is what he declared there. And then um, he, he began after that to give some more revelation, didn't he? He began to talk about his death and his resurrection that was coming soon. And, you know, Peter had a little stumble there, didn't he? And, and he said, no, it's not going to happen, not going to happen. And Jesus kind of rebuked him pretty heavily, called him Satan and everything. So that, that was pretty hardcore. I don't, the, the Lord has called me a fool before. That has literally happened where I, I had a devotion where the Lord called me a fool. And I've had that happen, but I've never been called Satan. Uh, so Peter was probably feeling pretty bad at this moment. But th- the Lord was telling him, you're, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And so... Uh, he had that moment where he was revealing uh, to the boys uh, this truth that the Messiah was going to suffer. And then uh, finally, uh, we come to today. We come to what is going to be revealed today. And a a lot of people struggle with this text. Not so much that whether they believe it or not. Now, there's a lot of people who say, oh, this is just mythology. This isn't real. This This is an allegory, a metaphor of some kind. You know, it has some kind of spiritual, you know, relevance to it. But the event itself didn't really happen. So some people struggle with it that way. Other people struggle to find a meaning in it. It's like, well, why? You know, it's kind of like, remember when Jesus walked across the sea? It was like, what was the purpose of that? Like, couldn't he just, like, walk around and, and meet the disciples on the other side? But, you know, we, we saw that there was a purpose to it, that he was, he was putting an end, he was, he was putting to death this, this mythology that they had in their, in their heads, that this belief of, like, these demons on the Sea of Galilee that when you're about to die, they appear to you, because you know, th- they were distracted by, by the, all of these things. And so, you know, he, he was drawing their faith out, and he was having them put their faith in him, rather than the, in the, the traditions of the elders. And this morning, we have another thing like that, where we kind of look at it and we go, okay, the transfiguration, it's the transfiguration, but why? 
you know, what's the point of it? And we're going to be digging into that this morning. So go ahead and uh, look. I told you to turn to chapter 17. That's mostly right. Now look up one verse above that to verse 28. That actually is part of the story. If you go to the the other synoptic gospels, uh, this uh, verse 28 is actually included uh, with the rest of it. So I think the the monks uh, who assigned the chapters and the verses, they, they, they just maybe goofed a little bit on this one, and maybe it was so expensive to redo a new one, they're just like, ah, forget it, we'll just leave it there. And so we have it to this day. I'm just kidding, I don't know. But it's in the wrong place. So we're going to continue, we're going to start at verse 28, and we're going to go down through verse 13 of chapter 17. Let's read together. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. We thank you so much for your word, the inspired word of God, Lord, a foundation, a rock, an anchor for our souls, Lord, that we can look to. Lord, because when we look upon your commandments, they are not grievous, but they are just, and they are true, and they are holy. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take this word this morning, Lord, that you would minister it to our hearts and to our souls. Lord, that there would be application to our lives. Lord, that our eyes would be open, that we might see the Christ, the Son of the living God. That we would not be deceived in these last times, Lord. That our hearts wouldn't go astray with every wind of doctrine that blows about. But Lord, that our eyes would be fixed upon you. For you are the light and the glory. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. And the only name by which we must be saved. So, Lord, we pray that you would draw near to us now, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is it that we have here? We saw the context of this is Caesarea Philippi. It was after Caesarea Philippi that Jesus said, hey, you know what? Some of you shall not die. They shall not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his glory, in his kingdom. And so what was it at Caesarea Philippi that that sent Jesus onto this line now? Well, see, first there's the revelation. This divine revelation that God the Father gives to Peter, and Peter declares it, thou art the Christ. Okay, he's not just a man, he's not just a prophet, he's not just a good teacher, but he is the Christ. 
He is the anointed one, the one that was sent by God to the nation of Israel to rule and to reign forever, and, and, and his, uh, his reign will have no end. Okay, that is him. That, that is the declaration. But more within that declaration is, you are the son of the living God. Right, so here, here that is. But now, the, the disciples, they, they weren't completely there. Because remember, they, they were men of little faith, right? We see that time and time again. That the disciples, they had faith. Right? They weren't like the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes who had a false uh, faith, a counterfeit faith. These men had true faith. But it was a waning faith. It was little faith. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. And when you think about little faith, it, it doesn't take much, right? Jesus said, if you have the, the faith the size of a mustard seed, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a mustard seed, but they're really tiny. They're really small. He said, if you have that much faith, you can say to this mountain, go, be uprooted, and throw yourself into the depths of the sea, and it will obey you. Right? It, it only takes that much faith. So his disciples, they had that saving faith. They had that little minuscule faith, but even it was, it was smaller than a mustard seed. It was like really down there. Okay, that's what they had. And so Jesus was drawing this, these, this faith out. He, he was helping them to understand. He was helping them to, b to believe. And so these disciples, they, they make this, um, this incredible discovery. This incredible revelation comes to them. Not to all the people of Caesarea Philippi, not to all the people of Israel or Jerusalem, the, the heart of religion in Israel, but it came to these fishermen, these tax collectors, these zealots, right? The, the, the word that the Christ is the Son of God, even as Isaiah prophesied, I believe in Daniel chapter, or uh, Isaiah chapter 9, Emmanuel, God with us, everlasting Father. We've, we've seen that, and so it, it's being open to their eyes. And what oftentimes happens, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but when God reveals something to you, when, when you're in a time of prayer, when you're seeking him, and, and the Lord is ministering to you, and he reveals something to you, and you have a divine revelation, you have that moment, that epiphany, where God speaks into your life, and the pages, they're not just black and white text, or red and black text, depending if what kind of Bible you have, or where you are in the Bible, but then also it's like the, the, the words are jumping off the page, and God is ministering, his Holy Spirit is taking those words, and he's ministering to your very heart. Have you had that? Now, when you, when you have that moment and God ministers to you and you reveal, it's revealed to you and then in humble submission, you take it and you make it your own. It's not just, oh, I heard it and my ears were tickled and woohoo, awesome, that was great. I can go tell my friends now and impress them. No, 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 that, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the Lord touches a place in your heart that only he can touch. And he ministers to you, and, and it changes who you are inside and out forever. It's that moment where the word of God has been made alive in you. It has quickened your spirit, and, and it changes you. you. You apply it to your life. You begin to walk in obedience to the revelation, to the divine commandment, and it is yours, and it becomes you, and it shapes you a little bit more into the image of the Son of God. You had that moment. Right? That moment is what we're talking about. And oftentimes, when the revelation comes to you, and then it is applied to your life, then it, of, it often follows further revelation. God shows you more. He, he begins to take you more, and that's when you see people, and it, maybe you've been this in your lifetime, and maybe you're in it right now, when you say, people, th this is the Christian term for it, you're on fire. Right? You guys been there? Are you there now? If not, you can be again. That's the good news. We oftentimes have th this this uh, waning faith and fervency towards the Lord where it kind of comes in like the tide and then it rolls back out and then it comes in like the tide and it rolls back out. 
right? That happens so often. But what happens is when we take the divine revelation, when it comes to us, when we're seeking the Lord, when we're looking to him, and he opens our eyes to his word, and he takes his word and he ministers it to our hearts, then we apply it to our lives, and then he shows us another thing. And then it ministers to our soul, and we're excited, and, and it changes us, and it becomes part of us. And then we, we, we humble ourselves to it, and then he reveals us another thing. That's what it's like to be on fire, right? That's what it means to be sold out for Christ. It's having this constant conversation, this constant um, communion with the Lord. But then there's also times where the divine revelation comes, and we hear it, we see it, we acknowledge it, but then we ignore it. And we let it go aside, and then our hearts seem to wane, and then we kind of wonder, it's like, gosh, it seems like God is so distant from me. It seems like my, uh, my devotions are dry, and, and you know, I'm kind of bored when I'm reading the scriptures, and it just makes me want to fall asleep. Been there? I have. That's when the Lord called me a fool. I was in one of those devotions. But see, the revelation was given to these disciples, right? A and to whatever degree, to whatever degree they understood it, the, the, the second revelation came, that, that the Christ was going to suffer, that he was going to be rejected by the elders, and that he was going to die and be raised again on the third day, right? The, the, the revelation came, and, and they couldn't bear it. That, that revelation was too much. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't apply it. They couldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it, and so Jesus is like, all right, I got to work with these boys, and so um, he's going to take them up onto this mountain, but see, be before we come to that, I, I want you guys to understand that there's basically three presentations of, of Jesus. Okay, there's the one that is, hasn't happened yet. I it's going to come. It's going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in that presentation of Jesus, he is going to be presented not just to Israel, but also to Israel, but also to the whole world as the Christ, the son of the living God. He is going to be revealed as both. He is going to come in all of his power, all of his authority and fulfillment to the scriptures. The Jews are going to look upon him whom they pierced, and they're going to, they're going to mourn as a, uh, <coughs> as a mother mourns for her, um, her child who has passed away and taken from her. They're, they're, they're going to cry out. Okay? That, that is one presentation. That's called the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that is coming. But see, there's also another one that happened on April 6th. 32 AD, those of you who are here on Sunday, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was the presentation of the Messiah, the presentation of the Christ, not the Son of God. He was, the, he was presented as the Messiah, the, the sent one by God, the anointed one, right? The one that Israel was looking for, their Messiah. Jesus even said as he wept over uh, the city of Jerusalem, he said, uh, if only you would have known the day of your visitation, right? This was their day. This was the day that the Lord had made, and he was going to be presented as Messiah. But now, six days following Caesarea Philippi, Jesus was going to be presenting himself as the Son of God. Right? Not a prophet, not just a man, not just a good teacher, but the Son of God. See, the, the presentations of Jesus all follow the, the, this declaration of Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right, so now we're going to have Jesus, the, the transfiguration is Jesus being presented to a couple humble, humble fishermen, a couple of men of little faith, yet faith indeed, genuine faith. He was going to be presented as the Son of God. Later he'd be presented as the Messiah, and then further still, I, I, in our, looking through our uh, binoculars, probably hopefully not too far off, 
but he's going to be presented as the Christ, the Son of the living God, together in his glory and his majesty. And so what do we have? They go up onto the hill. So it says, now after six days, chapter 17, verse 1, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, why did he just take them? Why, did, why didn't he take the rest of the boys? You know what? I don't know why he left everybody else. Some of the commentators say that, oh, you know, these, these three were obviously his favorites, and, you know, that's why they came up. They, they had this special place with him. I don't know about that. Some people say these were the knuckleheads, and so they needed the extra counsel. They, it's like, get over here. I can't leave you three by yourselves. Come on, let's go, right? I mean, th- those of you who have children, th- you have kids like that, right? There's some kids who are very responsible, and they're good. It's like, oh, you, know, you can stay here by yourself. And you have other kids, if you leave them behind, they're going to, like, light the house on fire, <laughs> right? I, and, and maybe it is that, you know, Peter, he doesn't have the greatest. James and John, they both wanted to br- send down fire on people because they didn't receive Jesus. I, you know, they were called the sons of thunder. You know, it's like, you know, maybe it was good. Maybe it was not a good name. I don't know. But really, in the end, I think there is something specific. I think God is going to establish this vision that is about to be seen by three witnesses. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy 19.15, it's also uh, echoed again in 2 Corinthians 13.1. It says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be established. Right? I, if there's only one person, if Jesus went up by himself and came down and said, guess what? I was transfigured and Moses and Elijah hung out with me. Would anybody believe him? No. But he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take two or three witnesses and they're going to come up and their testimony could be I- in the Jewish system of law that they could go before the Sanhedrin and if all three of those witnesses says, yes, I saw it, it happened, there it was, then they would have to at least consider it. They might not believe it, but they have to take it as evidence and say, well, you know, they're in agreement. Yes, this happened. So Jesus is bringing forward three witnesses that are going to be there to see this presentation that he is the son of God. You know, I, I've talked to you before. Th- does the Bible ask us to have blind faith? Does it ask us to set our brains at the door? I, I told you one of the, uh, it, it disgusted me. Um, Rich, he, he, one of his liberal friends had up on his Facebook, it was, I think it was four different churches. Uh, it was probably in the Bible Belt. I have no idea. But basically these four churches, w- the paraphrase of what they had on their little marquees in front of their church was reason, the enemy, the greatest enemy of faith. And I go like, are you kidding me? I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm insulted by that. I am truly insulted because it's like I- if we go around telling the world, oh, you know what? Reason, thought, those things are, are detrimental to faith in Jesus Christ. It's like they're going to be like, well, I don't want to be an idiot. I'm going to go somewhere else where I could think and be reasonable. Okay, that's a bad witness. But when I have witnesses upon witnesses, I have three here for, for the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, but there is far more, a, a much weightier testimony of the word of God, of the prophecies fulfilled by Jesus Christ, of the archaeological evidence, of the secular history that, that also confirms all these things. God has left us a great witness of who he is and what he is and what his desire for you and for me is in this world and in this life that we have though it be but a vapor, right? We have a witness. We have a reasonable faith. We have a reasonable um, evidence to believe in, to trust that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. And I I look at these three witnesses, uh, Peter, James, and John, and it's kind of funny because Jesus used them as witnesses a couple times, didn't he? 
right? These three were set apart a few times. Uh, one of them was with uh, Jairus, remember the synagogue ruler, when his 12-year-old daughter was at the point of death and even died. And, Pete, and, and Jesus said, hey, Peter, James, John, let's go. And there they were, and they were witnesses of his ability to reverse death, right? They, they, they were witnesses of that little girl when Jesus said, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. Right, they were witnesses of that. Uh, not only that, they're, they're witnesses of this, the transfiguration, and it's going to scare them quite a bit. You'll, you'll see. But then also, uh, just a little bit forward, but for us, hindsight, because we just finished uh, Easter, there were also witnesses of him at the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus would pour out his heart, when he would, when he would sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in agony facing the cross and the separation from his father for that time. Right? They, they would be witnesses of these things. Now, let me ask you this. What's the purpose of a witness? What's the purpose of a witness? Wh- wh- when you go into a courtroom and, and they, they bring uh, witnesses into the court, what are the, wi- what are the witnesses supposed to do? They're to testify. Right? They're to testify of what they have seen. They're to testify of what they know. And I- I- in the same sense, you and I, we have seen much, haven't we? We, unlike the disciples, we have the word of God. In its fullness, the complete revelation of the Lord. Here, there's only a couple things that have not been completely revealed in this. One of them is the seven thunders in Revelation. People go, well, it might mean this, it might, we don't know. Okay, who the Antichrist is and, and what the 666, you know, it is a human number. We don't know what that means yet either. That has not been revealed to us. But just about everything else has been revealed. And so we have this incredible witness of the word of God for us to look upon, and it testifies to us, right? Those of you in this room, do you believe? If you believe, then what was it that caused you to believe? Was it that you checked your brain at the door and says, oh, well, you know, it's a fun club, and we like to hang out, woo right? No, because when, when you become a Christian, oftentimes what happens, how many of you lost friendships because you became a Christian? How many of you have been antagonized, made fun of, mocked by your family? because of your faith in Jesus Christ? How many of you have been passed over promotions and things like that because of your faith or fired from jobs because of your faith in Jesus Christ, right? Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't just make everything rosy and like, woohoo, it's a social club. No, it makes things hard. It makes things hard because remember the tenet of Christianity isn't I'm sorry like it used to be in the old covenant, but it is he died for me, so let me die for you. And so Christianity, in a sense, is lay down your life. It's a death sentence that you might find true life in Jesus Christ, spiritual life, eternal life in him. Right? Th- that is what we are called to. And guys, when we entered into that, when we gave our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we saw the evidence, when we looked upon the scriptures, when we looked upon the evidence and we saw Jesus and he moved in our life, the revelation came, then what are we called to do? We're called to speak. We're called to testify of what we have seen. We are witnesses of the goodness and the glory and the majesty of God, of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can declare, I was lost, but now I am found. I was dead, but now I am alive. How many of you have that testimony? I called it the emptiness. I was dead. I'm terrified of where I was because just before I got saved, my conscience was so dead. And so I I won't even say numb. It was so calloused over. I didn't feel anything. 
I used to imagine, uh, literally trying to just provoke some thought of feeling in my heart, I would literally imagine if my parents got murdered in different ways that they would be murdered. I, I literally thought of those things in my head to try to see if I cared, and I didn't. Life didn't have any value. I, I, I tried to scare myself, like, okay, what happens if I die? Would I care? No. Does life have any value? No. I was dead. I considered myself the living dead. The closest thing to it are zombies, right? I considered myself. I really believed I was like a zombie. I was dead because I felt I had no life in me. And then the divine revelation came. Then the Son of God spoke into my life and light burst forth and life burst forth and I became alive. He quickened me. And then I changed very quickly, didn't I? Heidi, Heidi there's, a, you know, there's a witness. And not only that, but then all the people at our church who knew me before. Rich and Carrie, they knew me before. Susie Earl, they knew me before. I am not the person that I used to be. That man is dead, praise God. That man, that living dead, the one who was empty and dry and callous inside, he died. And so what do I do? I stand before you and I do what? I testify of what Jesus Christ did in me. When I have conversations with people at the gas station, at the, the grocery store, wherever, it, it's not that I'm, I'm having to do like some great apologetics. All I'm doing is testifying of what God is doing. I'm just a witness. That's it. I don't need to make anything up. I don't need to argue any points. A, a witness isn't up there to debate. That's what the lawyers do. A witness simply testifies. This is what happened. This is what the word of God says. This is what science says. This is what archaeology says. Here is the reason why I believe. Here is what God has done in me. That's it. I also find it interesting that when Jesus, who took him up on the mountain, it says in Luke's gospel that he took them up there to pray. Right? He went up onto the mountain where they were isolated by themselves, and he went there to pray. I can't tell you how important it is to get alone, get away from the noise, turn off the cell phone, Turn off the DSs, the news radio, everything, even K-Wave. Air One, what do you got? Fish? Turn them off. Spend some time in solitude before the Lord because it was on the mountain of solitude in a time of prayer that the Lord was transfigured before them. It was in that moment that they saw the true nature, the true form of the Son of God. They saw it. But it wasn't until they were alone in the quiet and, and they were there before him praying. Now, are these deeply spiritual men who were praying the prayer, the great prayers like Elijah, who prayed for it to rain and it rained? Before that, he prayed that it would dry up and it dried up. Are these great men like that? No, they fell asleep. If you read all the Gospels, they fell asleep. They were praying. They fell. That's happened before, hasn't it? Or it's going to happen again. Garden of Gethsemane, right? They're supposed to be praying with Jesus. And Jesus said, can't you stay awake for one hour? Come on, guys. And they, and they fall asleep. Well, the reason why he's probably a little perturbed at them is because they fell asleep here too, right? They were supposed to be praying and they fell asleep. So that, that gives hope for me too. You know, we don't have to be the super Christian for God to hear us and for the divine revelation to come. We just need to come near the Lord. We just need to come up onto the mountain with him and be listening. And you know what? If you fall asleep, you know what? He knows. He knows that we are but clay, but dust. He knows our form. But you know what? He came before them. And in verse 2, it says that he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Now, if you guys don't know, you know, 
I try not to do too much Greek, but you know what? This is a good one. Uh, that word transfigured, you guys know what transfigured means? It literally means it's metamorphos. What does that sound like to you? Metamorphosis. What gets metamorphosized? Butterflies. It is literally a change of form, a change of figure. That is what happened to Jesus Christ here on this mountain. He was metamorphosized. Okay, now here's the thing. Is this the first time Jesus has been transfigured? No, because before in heaven, he was with his father, right? God is a spirit, right? And then the spirit, God, the, the son, he was transfigured and became flesh, right? He, he, was, he was placed into the womb of Mary and there he was born on the earth and the angels you know, spoke of him and, and praised God. Right there he was, he was transfigured into flesh, and now we have in this moment, he is being transfigured before their, before their eyes. They, he is changing his form, he is changing his figure. Now this is just kind of like previews. If you guys, you know, I'm sure you guys have all gone to see a movie, and before the movie you always see what? Lots and lots of commercials, right? Do you remember when movies didn't have commercials? When they just had the previews? Now they're actual like TV commercials, isn't that annoying? But what you see bef right before the movie starts is you see the previews of the coming attractions, things that are going to come, things that aren't out yet, but things that are they're coming. And, and they're, they're, they're kind of given to kind of whet your appetite to get you thinking about it. Those of you who like watch like the Hobbit movies, those of you who like read Lord of the Rings and all those kind of things. Heidi grew up on it. Her dad read it to him like seven times, eight times. I don't know how many times, but like she grew up on it. And so when, when the first preview of the Hobbit came out, you should have, Heidi was like Pavlov's dog, like you're ringing the bell, ding, 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 like that, and she was just like, Lord of the Rings is coming out, Lord of the Rings is coming, <gasps> and she was so, we have to, we're going to go to the very first showing, midnight, 1201, whatever it is, we're going, it's like, okay, 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 you know, and, and then, but because there was such a nostalgia to it, and, and not only that, then when The Hobbit came out, it was the same thing, it's like, they're doing The Hobbit, you know, and she was all excited, and you know, we're, we, you know we're, we got to get the Blu-ray, we got everything, it's like the because it's part of who she was. But see, th th those previews, you know, they're, they're no fools. They're, they're designed to draw your attention. They're, dr they're designed to bring you in, to make you want it, to anticipate it. And so Jesus, what he's doing here is he is giving us a preview of what is coming, of what is going to be. But notice this, was he transfigured back into what he was before he came onto the earth? Before he was transfigured into the flesh? No, this is something different. This is something new. This is an incredible revelation about God because God became a man, and guess what? He's going to stay a man, and yet he's going to be endowed with all the glory and majesty of God, yet he has changed his form, right? He was a spirit, and then he became flesh, and now he is going to become this thing where the flesh and the spirit are merged perfectly together, and that, that is going to be his glory. John Corset says it in kind of an, an amusing anecdote. He says, imagine that, you know, God came to you and said, I want you to go to this planet full of poodles, and you are going to become a poodle, right? You're going to live among them, but there's a whole bunch of wolves, and they're going to devour you and tear you apart and tear you into shreds, and then you're going to die, and then you're going to be resurrected, and you're going to stay a poodle for all eternity. Would you do it? Right, that, that, that's what John uh, Corson, it's kind of an amusing way of looking at it, but really in the end, Jesus set aside his glory. He became man. He was transfigured into the flesh, and now we are seeing this little preview of that when he is glorified, when his body is glorified, and it is glorified now, but we just don't get to see it yet. 
that he is going to be transfigured into this where his flesh and the spirit are united as one. And it, it really is kind of a, a symbol of like you look at the New Jerusalem. What is that? Remember, there's going to be a new heavens and the new earth and the, thro- the throne room of God is not separate from the earth like it is now, but the two are going to be together. Heaven and earth are going to be one. They're not going to be separate. And in a sense, we see that in a type in the body and literally the glorified body of Jesus Christ. Kind of interesting, huh? Fascinating. And so he became that. He's going to become this new new form. We look upon his face uh, in verse 2. It says that his face shone as the sun, right? It shone as bright as the sun. I don't know if you guys ever walk out and try to look at the sun. Sometimes when the, when the sunset's going or like a lunar eclipse and they tell you don't look, it'll burn your eyes, but you look anyway because it's really cool and you just want to see it. I can't see anymore. You know, it's like, but like, you know, his face shone like the sun in its strength, in its glory. And, and so when, when Peter and James and John and they look upon him, it's like this incredible magnitude. This, can you imagine the sun being literally the sun, but being like right here in front of you as far as I am away from you? What would that do to your eyes? You would have to shield yourself. You wouldn't be able to look upon him, and, and his glory is shining out. Now, we see like a, kind of a, a something like similar to this happened in the Old Testament, right? In Exodus chapter 34, verse 35, remember Moses, after the second 40-day fast with the Lord? Uh, you remember when, when the Lord was you know, writing the Ten Commandments and stuff like that on the stone tablets? And he came down, and remember it said that his face was, was ablaze, that it was glowing before the people, and the people were afraid, Right? So that, at best, would be more like the moon reflects the sun's glory. It wasn't Moses' glory that was shining, right? It was the Lord's glory on him. But, you know, actually, I think what's even a little little bit more exactly what it was, you guys ever have those uh, glow-in-the-dark stars, the plastic ones? See those, right? And what do you do? You put them under the light, and you hold them next to the light, and then you take them away from the light, and what do they do? They glow, right? That was Moses. That was his glory. Now, do those little stars shine very bright? No, not very bright at all. Moses... He, he could take the brightness of his face, of his countenance, he could cover it by just putting a veil on, right? No big deal. Can Jesus' clothes do that? Can, can the grave can't hold Jesus, much less can his clothing, the, these earthly garments, they cannot hold in the glory of, this, uh, of his true form. And so the, the light of his countenance shining through them causes them to be whiter than any launderer could ever do. That's, I think that's in Mark's gospel that it says that. It says they, they, they shine, they shone, they glimmered. It's like his glory, his radiance shining through those clothes caused them to be transfigured, and they shone even as the sun. Pretty amazing, huh? Beautiful picture, right? The face of God. But w- we see, you know, more than just that, you know, w- we look at this, you know, in John 1, 5, it says that God is light, right? God, God is this inapproachable light. Not only that, in 1 Timothy six sixteen it says that he dwells in light, and then in Psalm 104, too, for those of you who are taking notes, you can look these up. It says that he literally wraps himself with light as a garment, right? That is our God. And, and when we look at Jesus Christ, he's not just a man, is he? He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. But when we see him transfigured on this mount, we've got our three witnesses. There they are. And, and it's, it's printed here in the greatest witness, the scriptures. And we see it. He is not just a mere man. He is the son of God. And then, you know, we see... You know, following that, that um, Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah. If you go to Luke's gospel, Luke's account of this is that they, were, they literally appeared before Jesus and they began talking with him about what? About the second revelation that was given at Caesarea Philippi. Christ's death and resurrection. So Moses and Elijah, they come. Here's two more witnesses, by the way. You know, m- many believe that these are going to be the two witnesses that are I- in Revelation chapter 11. 
when they are going to be witnesses uh, of the living God on earth during the time of tribulation. And I think that they're probably the best two. You know, we don't know who all of them are, obviously. We guess Elijah is a guarantee because he's prophesied to be. But, you know, Moses, potentially the second one. Well, he does, the, the, the Revelation prophet does the same kind of plagues that Moses did. So, you know what? He's as good a pick as anybody. But in the end, we have these two men, and they come, and number one, we have, like, the real men, the actual Elijah, the actual Moses. A- and Peter, James, and John, they're dumbfounded by this, right? Being little Jewish boys, they grew up hearing stories uh, uh, of these men. These were their idols. These were, these were their superstars, right? These were the ones who won, so you think you could dance, right? These, these are the ones who won American Idol, and they have their own, you know, like, CD now. Right, these are them. You know, they, they looked uh, you know, to Elijah and to Moses with awe and wonder. And, and when the kids were ran, running around playing, how they play like Hulk and you know Iron Man and things like that, these men pr- pretended to be Moses and Elijah and maybe King David. Right, Th- these were their heroes. And so these men came and they were there and they were speaking to Jesus. They were speaking to him about the the soon coming crucifixion. And the resurrection from the dead. And I find this interesting because, you know, we, we always think of God as like this unapproachable, like, oh, and, and we're going to be like on our faces constantly because the scriptures say we're going to be worshiping him forever and ever, right? And yet, when Moses and Elijah come before the transfigured Jesus Christ in all his glory, he is God, right? We know that. And they come before him. Do they immediately just fall down and start worshiping him? No, they begin to talk with him. They're conversing with him. They're, they're dialoguing with Jesus. And I find this interesting because, you know, I, I know that we are going to be worshiping God forever and, e- and ever and e- all of eternity. But I also know that God is personable, that he, he speaks to us, he ministers to us in the same way that my children come to me and they talk to me about whatever. Daddy, do you think we can go catch a lizard today? Please, oh please, do you think we can keep it? Can it be, can it be a pet? Can we call them scales? Yeah, and, and they, they come, and, and they have these dialogues with me. They come, or I'll, I'll be in my office, right? God is in his throne. I, I, I've got, you know, my little office over there, and they'll come, and they'll wipe their faces across the glass door and all of that, and, and then they'll walk in, and they'll sit down on the chair and roll it up next to me, and, and like, what are you doing? You know, I have a feeling that when we approach God, it's going to be like that. We're going to be like children coming before our papa. And we, we will spend a great deal of time worshiping him. It will be glorious and beautiful, and you will not uh, regret any of it. But we will also spend time talking to God, just talking with him, asking him what he thinks, what he feels, his desires, the things that bring him joy. Right? That'll be a glorious time. So Jesus comes, the great mistake of Peter. And Peter does that a lot, you know, often, doesn't he? You feel bad for Peter. But, you know, I I feel very comforted by Peter because I make lots of mistakes too. But Peter makes a big mistake. We see in Luke's gospel, the conversation is ended between Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. And Elijah and Moses begin to leave. And then it's at that moment that Peter stands up, wait, Lord, it's good for us to be here. What's he saying in that? Is is he just excited that like, oh, look, hey, the boys are all here. We're hanging out. Is Is that what he's talking about? No, he sees Moses and Elijah leaving, and he doesn't want them to leave, and so he, sa- he stops them, right? And it takes gusto, right? Jesus is shining like the sun. Elijah and Moses are in person right there. Like, I mean, Peter, the guy who says, you know, Lord, if it is you, call me to step out of the boat. Peter's always doing, I like Peter. 
right? Because he's, like, he always, like, you know, he's not afraid to do these things. Like, it says he was fearful, but he didn't know what he was saying, so he just, like, the, the, the nature of Peter came out, like, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us make a tabernacle, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, right? See, he didn't really understand, and, and like, the, the point of this vision, right, at the beginning when we started this message, right, I was asking a question. What was the purpose of this vision? Why the transfiguration? Why was it that God was bringing these three men to come up before him and, and see this change of his form? Well, Peter got it wrong, didn't he? He didn't understand. See, he was sleeping when he should have been praying. And, and, and he didn't understand, yet again, one more divine revelation as it came. And so he was like, no, 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 no. See, he thought it was an opportunity for him to see some of his uh, childhood heroes. He thought it was an opportunity to meet Moses, maybe get his autograph. Right to, to talk to Elijah and say, hey, can you send fire down over there in those bushes? I want to see it. That would be rad. You know, like that's where Peter's going, but he's kind of drunken with sleep because, you know, it's like like this. You ever had any prayer sessions like that? Yeah. OK, so like he, he's coming forward. He doesn't understand. And, and he's just like, and, but he missed the whole point. He didn't understand the purpose of the divine revelation of Jesus being the son of God. And so he's trying to to make it last a little bit longer because he, he, he's enamored with Moses and Elijah. And so he's like, in his folly here, he, he kind of puts, I think unwittingly, I don't think he would, he would do this on purpose, but he put Elijah and Moses on equal plane with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? And, and that was his big mistake. And, well, thankfully, God the Father comes in, verse 5. It says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased hear him and when the disciples heard it they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid but jesus came and touched them and said arise and do not be afraid when they had lifted up their eyes they saw no one but jesus only right peter sleeping when he should have been praying misses the point jesus is there transfigured before him the coming glory of christ and he's enamored with moses and elijah puts them on the same plane as Jesus, and God the Father goes like, oh, Pete, Peter. I, he's like, Jesus, I got this one. Don't worry about it. And the Father comes down in a cloud. We see that all the time, right? Old Testament, the Father always comes down as a cloud. Mount Sinai, you know, in the wilderness. The Father comes down in the cloud. There's the Shekinah glory. And then the great voice that is like seven thunders utters out, shakes the mountains, tear, breaks the rocks apart, right? That, that voice came out. And now, wouldn't you be scared? especially if you just woke up, right? You're sitting there and like Jesus is shining like the sun and then all of a sudden this great glorious cloud comes about you and the voice of God begins to speak very loudly in your ear. I mean, that would be terrifying. Poor Pete, right? So there he is and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Do you remember, did God say that before? Remember at Jesus' baptism? That was the declaration and some people thought it was thunder, right? Or some people thought it was an angel, but it was the voice of God saying, this is, is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God is going back to that one again. In that moment at Jesus' baptism, it was, the baptism was a witness, again, there's the witness, of John the Baptist declaring that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, right? There it was. And so God the Father is now bringing him back. Pete, you missed the vision. You, you missed the memo. I'm sorry, dude. I'm gonna make it clear for you. This, not mo, not lie, this is my beloved son. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hear 
him. Right? There are no truer words anywhere. He is the beloved son. Hear him. You go back and you read the Sermon on the Mount. Is there anything in there that's like, oh my goodness. I can't believe he would say such a thing. Are the commandments of God grievous? Are, are they bad? Are they burdensome? No, not really. Only to those who reject them and are, are you know, they're burdened by their conscience. But other than that, no. He says, hear him. If you grew up with, with a Catholic background, I'll, I just refer you back to the wedding at Cana. What was Mary's advice to the servants? Right? Hey, m- I, I dig Mary. I'm a big fan of Mary. She was an incredible woman. Anybody who could pray like she prayed deserves my respect. Absolutely. But what was her? Did, 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 did she, like, command Jesus and, and, and he was, like, her, her little gopher kind of boy? No. He said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And she, knowing that Jesus is merciful and graceful, says to the servants, whatever he says, do it. See, that was a moment of faith for Mary, wasn't it? Whatever he says, do it. God the Father is saying the same thing now. He says, this is my beloved son. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Hear him. Hear him. So, verse 9. It says, Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. In Luke's gospel, it says that the disciples began to discuss, what does it mean to be risen from the dead? They still don't get it. They literally see him glorified in their midst. God the Father comes down the whole bit. They hear Mo and Lai talking to him about his death and resurrection. And then Jesus says, okay, guys, this that you have seen, the presentation of me as the Son of God, don't tell anybody until after I'm raised from the dead, okay? I don't want you to, uh, don't give the spoiler, okay? Don't tell anybody until I'm raised from the dead. And they're like, oh, okay, what does it mean raised from the dead? Is that like a club? Are we going to go there tomorrow? What, what does that mean? Like, they completely missed it again. I know, wow, right? But you know what? That's us. How many times has the revelation come to us? How many times has the Lord revealed his will to our lives, and yet we don't hear it? We don't hear it. And it's like, no, 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 it can't possibly mean that. Uh, I know it seems like it means that, but I can't possibly, no, 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 no. It do- Lord, far be it from you. This shall never happen to you. Lord, far be it from you. This shall never happen to me. Okay. Right, we, we get in that mode, don't we? And it's like, and how many of you guys have had like the Lord like rebuke you on something only to ignore it and you continue in your thing and then like it comes back around and all of a sudden it happens again and then you, the revelation comes to you again and you ignore it and then like it comes back around again and it happens again and you, and you start thinking, why does this always happen to me? Right? How many of you have an ir- irregular person in your life? Right, somebody who drives you nuts, who, who's like, their, their voice is like nails on a chalkboard, and everything they do seems to be it, like a, a design to provoke you to anger and frustration. You guys are all laughing because you got them, don't you? Right? And then what happens? Finally, uh, you, you've had all you can have. You, you become Popeye. I've, I can't take no more. Right? And then you cut them loose, maybe you tell them off, you send them on your way, and you turn around, and and a new person is saying, hi, how are you doing? And they're exactly the same. And you go like, oh no, oh no. Has that happened to you guys? Could it be that God wants that kind of person in your life until you hear and understand and apply the divine revelation? Yes, yes, that is exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. Guys, We need to understand. God gives us lots of chances because, see, he's preparing us for eternity. 
He's preparing us to be in his presence. He's preparing us because guess what? A lot of those irregular people, how many of them are Christian? Yeah, I know, huh? You're going to spend eternity with them, guys. You better get to like them. You better get to love them. You better get to enjoy that kind of personality because they're gonna be, their mansion's going to be right next to you. Hey, buddy, what's up? And you're going to be like, hi. <laughs> really awkward things that I thought about you in the in back in the life before, right? Hey, God's working on you. He's preparing you. He, he's working on it now, guys. We need to be ready for the divine revelation. We need to be um, submissive to it, and we need to try to understand it. We, ne- we need to try to get it the first time, right? Th- that's a lot better when we get it the first time because then more revelation follows. And they start talking about um, th- this whole thing, about like, hey, you know, don't, don't reveal it until after I'm raised from the dead. Now, right now, the guys, they still don't get it. They, they, they really don't understand it, but um, they're going to. And I have proof that they're going to because uh, Peter himself, you know, he, he pinned a couple of epistles, didn't he? And in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What does that sound like? What does that sound like? W- when did they see his power and majesty? They weren't at the cross. Right? They ran away. Because when the shepherd was struck, the sheep scattered. Only John was there. Peter wasn't. So what was Peter talking about? He's talking about this transfiguration. He didn't understand it then, but he understands it now. He understands it now. And he he gave glory. He gave witness. He says, I am a witness of the power and majesty of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? Guys, that's what we are. Have you experienced the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ in your life? Have you? Then you know what? You are witnesses. Every one of us in this room are witnesses. And there are many people who call us into the courtroom, don't they? Why do you believe that? Do you really believe? Are you a silent witness? Are you uh, an aggressive witness? That they have to, you know, you're in contempt of the court, right? What kind of witness are you? Well, we are called to be witnesses. Now, they, they go on in, chap- in verse 10 through 13, and they start talking about, uh, about Elijah. It's like, hey, you know, they kind of forget Mo, but they're, they're, they seem to be preoccupied with Elijah. They say, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first. So what is he speaking of here? Presentation number three, right? At the last coming, Revelation chapter 11, Elijah is going to come. He is going to be physically, bodily here on this earth. Elijah is one of the few people who had never died. He was literally taken. Him and Enoch were the two people who never died. Now, there's a couple people who died twice because Jesus resurrected people from the dead. Elijah did that too. So did Elisha. There's a couple people who had to die twice, but only two people never died. And that was Elijah and Enoch. Okay, so Elijah is going to come back physically, bodily to this earth and he is going to once again take up his witness as a prophet of God, being a, he's going to be declaring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is going to be causing great plagues to fall, not just upon Israel, or just like if you, if you read like the Left Behind series, or things like that, or watch the movies, they're kind of confusing, because they, they kind of like isolate them to Israel, and just like l- places around to know, this is worldwide things that are happening now. Okay, so the, the, the disciples, you know, Jesus is telling them, no, he is going to come, but... He also has come. And they go like, oh, is that confusing to you guys? 
Well, what you have to go to is you have to go back to um, the gospel accounts when Zacharias had a vision by Gabriel, the archangel. You guys remember that? He was there offering the incense uh, in the Holy of Holies, and and Gabriel came and told him that his prayers had been answered and that he was going to be having a son. His son was going to be a Nazarene. He was never going to drink wine. He was never to eat of the fruit of the grapes and all that. And then he said, and he will come in the power, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, bringing many souls back to their God. Right? That is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, in the spirit and power of Elijah, came testifying of God, calling people to repentance and turning their hearts, the hearts of the fathers, back to their God. And that is John the Baptist. He was a witness in this day. But Elijah, he is going to be coming back also in, in the last days. And, I, and if you guys want to talk about that after service, I'd be happy to give you a little bit more information on that. But these are the things that are going to be. So, so what do we have in conclusion? Really, in the end, we come back to 2 Peter 1.16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, God has given us witnesses, hasn't he? He's given us many witnesses. We have a reasonable faith that he is Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And guys, in this case, believing is seen. Right? It's not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. And what I mean by that is that the sign followed the declaration. Right? Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And following that came the vision of Jesus glorified. Okay? Now, did Peter have evidence of who Jesus was leading up to that time? Was it just a blind declaration? Oh, you're the Christ, Son of the living God. No. See, first Peter looked into, he followed Jesus, he, he looked into it, he saw uh, Jesus operating, he talked to him, he asked him questions, he witnessed the miracles that Jesus did, he heard his teaching, he heard his doctrine, and so he looked upon these things, he looked into those things, and then he believed, and then after he believed and declared, then he saw, and then after he saw, he testified. Is that pretty similar to what we have in our own lives? Have you looked into the things? Do you believe? Have you seen? Has God revealed himself to you? And if you have, have you testified who he is? There's a lot of people out there who are asking the question, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Who is the Christ? You are called as witnesses. Every single one of you. Every single one of us are witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a ministry of reconciliation, begging, pleading with people to be reconciled to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, for this vision of the transfiguration. Lord, we pray that these things would be just solidified in our hearts, Lord, that we would not doubt, that we would not be men and women of little faith. But Lord, that we'd be men and women with mustard seed faith. Lord, that we would trust in you, that we would believe in you. And Lord, that we would not be afraid to testify of you. Lord, you are the Son of God. You have declared it, Lord. We have seen, we have seen many of the proofs just on Easter, Lord, that you are the Messiah. And this morning, Lord, we have looked upon the face of the Son of God, shining as the sun. And Lord, we believe, we believe. Help us to believe. We ask it in Jesus' name.